All right. So are you recording? Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome to RPG Quest, the podcast where we do not play D&D. And on this episode, again, we're diving into the uh, the horrific, uh, the ancient, and uh, the eldritch horror as we uh, look at Call of Cthulhu once more. <laughs> Uh, my name is Chris. I am the host and GM, and I guess in this case, uh, since we're playing Cthulhu, uh, the keeper of the podcast. But again, the real stars of the show, as always, are our players. And joining me for this one, for this little episode, is, uh, what do I call you? Outlaw Panda? Panda? Uh, Panda's fine. Panda's fine. Cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. Coming to us uh, live from uh, China. Yeah, Shenyang China for now. For now, um, yeah. So because of that, we will be we will be playing online. Um, you know, just because of distance, some of the episodes will be online. Some of the other episodes, I'm sure you'll notice, will be uh, in person when we have the opportunity to. Um, but yeah, but because of that, we're going to be using uh, Roll Twenty to do our roles and to do our character creation and and uh, the actual play and all that sort of stuff. Um, this episode is is going to be like a little bonus episode for you guys. Um, we're just going to go through step-by-step step how to make a character, kind of what all the skills are, and, and put all that together before we actually jump into our, um, our scenario. So if you you know, don't really want to sit through the the whole character creation. I completely understand. You can just skip forward to the, to the next episode where we actually get stuck into, um, get stuck into our adventure. And of course, if you want to listen back to the previous episode, I did an interview with uh, YouTube content creator, um, Seth Skorkowski. We sort of went through kind of the sales pitch of like, what is Call of Cthulhu, kind of a basics on how it works and kind of a little look at the genre and the kind of style of game that it is. And sort of piggybacking off that, we kind of discussed that there are a couple of different kinds of styles of game that you can really run with this. I mean, a lot of people associate it with like 1920s, which is the default sort of setting. And, you know, the players are called investigators. So you kind of think about, oh, you know, it's a am playing a PI in the 1920s. It doesn't have to be that at all. And we sort of talk a lot about that. Although for this one, I wanted to do for the first one, I did kind of want to do that setting. So we are going to do a 1920s as a PI style um, adventure. And I also wanted to do it as I, I, just a one-on-one -on -one and kind of lean into that trope of um, actually doing a, um, you know, having a private investigator, sort of investigating a mystery and maybe uncovering um, some truths to the universe that he didn't know were there. and Maybe dying, maybe going insane. But um, I think a lot of people get scared about Call of Cthulhu that it's, you know, it's, it's very deadly and... Everyone's going to lose their minds and the players are going to kill all the other players and there are no good endings, which can be true, depending on the scenario. But you can also run it. It doesn't have to be completely deadly. You can run, I think, quite a successful uh, campaign with just one or two or three players and not die. You just kind of have to be smart about it. You know, run away instead of fighting, um, hiding you know, instead of engaging the monsters and just kind of, I guess a good rule of thumb might be something like if you wouldn't do it in real life, maybe don't necessarily try and do it, you know? I mean, character death can be fun as well when you're like pushing the limits on things. I, I know in my experience with Blades, I definitely don't mind that at all. I've had a lot of characters trauma out 
um, or, or die because it's, you know, drive it like you stole it. Oh, and those moments are going to be epic. That's what horror is all about. I guess it's just in a one-on-one, you kind of end up cutting the uh, cutting the story a little too short, which, <laughs> which can suck. So I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, because of that, we're going to be running an adventure set in New Orleans in the year 1926, which will be called Tell Me Have You Seen the Yellow Sign? I think you have a little bit of a character concept in mind, which we'll get to in a bit. But first, we're actually just going to pull up the character sheet and we're going to go through step by step the stats and uh, all that sort of good stuff. So if you pull up um, your Roll20 character sheet. All right. Um, For now, I see a sample one. Yeah, do you see one? Uh, I think it, it, we just used the pre-generated name, which is like Woodroy Puno or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Woodroy Puno. Yeah. It's actually kind of a cool name, Woodroy. Um, there are a couple of different methods to character creation. You can roll for your stats. You can uh, use like a point buy method. Or the third one is a quick fire method, um, which is what I like to do and which is what we're going to do for this one. I think it generally, it's a little easier and it, I think, makes more of a balanced character. For instance, you're not going to run the risk of, of rolling really low or, you know, you can roll really high, but in my experience, that, that hardly ever happens. Yeah, more likely you're going to roll low. So the first thing you do is your characteristics or stats or attributes, uh, whatever you want to call them. These are your your big main skills for your character. They're, you'll find them at the top of the character sheet, whatever kind of version of the, the character sheet you're using. You have strength, constitution, size, dexterity, appearance, intelligence, power, education, and luck. I think some of them are pretty self-explanatory. I guess there are differences. There are things like strength and size. If you've got a, if you're, if you have like a high size score, you kind of get bonuses to your melee attacks or your punching, or if you're using a a melee weapon, you know, you might get a little extra bonus to that. Um, I might ask for size in certain, for a size roll in certain instances. Otherwise, you know, if you're sort of barging down a door, it'll probably be strength. Uh, you have intelligence and education. Education is things that you had to study to learn. Intelligence is just your raw, natural intellect. Power is the interesting one that's obviously unique to Call of Cthulhu. Power is used to do things like cast spells if we're playing that sort of campaign, but it also might just kind of be passive. Maybe monsters might drain your power ability. I might ask for a power roll if someone's trying to cast a spell on you to maybe, you know, take over your mind or if a, if a monster is trying to, some kind of eldritch horror is trying to do something to you, or it might even just kind of act almost like a, a passive kind of shiver ability. Maybe it's just your intrinsic sense to to tap into some kind of cosmic energy that is unseen, um, which is really cool. And then the final skill is luck, which is really cool. So it does work like a normal skill. Like you, you roll your dice, you want to, you know, succeed on that roll. I might call for a luck roll, say if you're in a conflict and uh, you want to, maybe there's, is there a weapon nearby that I can just quickly grab um, to knock this guy out? Well, roll luck and let's see what's nearby. It might be um, maybe you're uh, driving somewhere and I'm going to ask for a luck roll and you sort of stop and uh, 
you need to go to the bathroom at that particular awkward point, or maybe you just like to, <laughs> to avoid a pothole or just, just bad things happening. But the other way luck works, which is really cool, is you can actually spend luck to make other rolls. So uh, we, we talked about the mechanics previously in the, in the previous episode, well, I did with um, Seth, but um, Call of Cthulhu runs on a D100 system. So your, your stats are sort of going to be anywhere between 40 to 80 or maybe even 90. You roll a D100 and you want to roll under that. So if you had a 50 in, in strength, um, you've sort of got a 50%, 50-50 chance to, to succeed. You, you roll your D100, you want to get under a 50. So the higher your stat, the more of a chance you have to succeed. Throughout the adventure, you can spend luck points to make up the difference of a failure. So let's say, I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you, you needed this strength roll and you rolled a, you're trying to get under 50 and you rolled a 52, almost success, not quite. You can spend two of the points out of your luck skill to turn that into a success, but that comes out of your luck stat. So if your luck was at that point 50, it's now going to become 48 because you've spent those points and it's a pool and you don't get them back. So as you spend luck, your luck runs out and thus as the adventure goes on, it becomes harder to succeed in luck rolls because you know your luck literally um, gets used up, which I think is a really cool mechanic. Yeah, it'd be an interesting thing to happen. Uh, I'm sure it would be enjoyable to say, oh, well, uh, my luck has officially run out. Let's see how this plays. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be those decisions where you're like, oh, uh, do I, I really want to succeed in this role. I failed. This is a, this is a you know, do or die moment. I'm going to spend my luck. You can spend as much as you want. You could spend 20 points of luck if you, if you had them and, and really whittle down that luck. But, you know, there might come a crucial moment where you, um, where you need to make a luck roll later and you wished you had that stat a little higher. So we're going to do the quickfire rules. So the way quickfire rules work, on all those core stats, you have a set number. I guess if you've played uh, D&D like most people have, you know, you get your, you, they, I think they call it standard array. So this is that kind of version. So one of those skills will be a 40, then you have three 50s, two 60s, a 70, and then your top skill has an 80. So I think maybe the best way to do this is we get started on your character. So maybe think about what's going to be your best skill, what's going to be your worst skill, and then kind of fill in the middle accordingly based on what you have left. So what do you think would be your character's top skill? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, actually a really good question. Coming up with the character concept, I didn't think too much about uh, how it would translate into actual die. Um I don't think he's incredibly strong. I do think he's probably fairly intelligent, um, like average education, but fairly intelligent, like emotional intelligence. Um, but appearance might be one of the low stats, as he's he's had a rough time of it the last couple of years. Oh, so maybe we would put appearance as a forty. Yeah, could be great. Um, I am. I imagine time has. Time and his choices have taken its toll. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's let's put appearance as forty. Appearance is good. It's one of those skills. It might be um, it might be used in an active way if you're trying to you know maybe seduce someone or something like that. But I also might occasionally just ask for an appearance role, like when you walk into a room, just to see how you're generally received. You know what I mean? With sort of what state you're in. Yeah. I mean, it might be interesting if you're you know he's he's a detective. 
uh, you know, as as discussed earlier. And if he walks into a room and immediately like, okay, you look like a bum. Yeah. Uh, that might affect things negatively. Could be interesting. Exactly. All right. So we'll put appearances forty. Um, yeah. What do you think would be um would be your your top stat? You could go intelligence. Um, if he's not strong, I know he's a an ex war guy. He could be quite dexterous as well. Um, or constitution. Constitution's always um very handy. So when you take damage, a lot of the time, if you if you take a big wound, I might ask for a constitution roll to see whether or not you uh, actually pass out. Okay, fair enough. So that can be pretty crucial when it comes to the crunch as well. I mean, again, considering the amount of time that he's been battered around um, and battered himself around, constitution might be his high point. Uh, like I do think he's quite intelligent, but I, you know, I don't think he's absolutely brilliant or anything that would justify an eighty. Okay, um, so let's go. So yeah, maybe Constitution. 80 in Constitution. Excellent. Um, now let's think about your 70, your second highest. Well, that maybe be intelligence. Yeah, I think that one might be intelligence. Beautiful. Maybe let's just go through the others. What do you think about strength? So 50 would be an average. You've got 50s and 60s left. Yeah, I think he's about average strength. About average? Probably average strength, average size. Average strength, average size. Let's put 50s in those. Um Dexterity? Will that be a 50 or 60? Um, hmm. Yeah, maybe a 60 in his in his dexterity. 60 in his dexterity. And then the last two we've got are power and education. You said he doesn't have a great education, so you've got 150 left. Yeah, I'll go with that. That last 50 for education, uh, which I guess leaves a 60 for power. And then 60 yeah. in power. Yeah. And then your power skill is also going to be, I believe, your sanity skill. So you're going to have 60 points of sanity as the game goes on. And uh, the way sanity works is um, if you see something uh, shocking or terrible or even supernatural or evil, I'll ask for a, um, for a sanity roll to see um, if you keep your, your wits about you or not. All right. And uh, yeah, as the game goes on, the more sort of hectic stuff that happens, your uh, sanity is something that whittles down throughout the uh, scenario. That whole going mad thing. Looking forward to that. Um, I see on the quick fire that luck is something you can't mess with. Is that going to be auto generated with the quick fire, or, or how does that work? Is it a pool of your stats? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna roll for luck to see how much luck uh, you have. All right, so that's that's the final skill. Yeah, so that doesn't that doesn't uh, count for the for the quick fire. The way um, we roll when we get to it, uh, when you roll for a stat, you roll three d six, and then you times that by five. All right. So if you roll, you know, if you rolled a 10, you'd have 50 luck. If you rolled an 11, you'd have 55, sort of that, that kind of thing. The lowest it can be, I think, is like 30 and the highest would be 90. 90 would be a hell of, hell of a lucky guy. Extremely lucky. So once we've got that, we're going to um, choose our age. And now age is something that actually comes with modifiers. I know you've kind of got your concepts, so you've kind of got your age, but I'm going to explain this anyway. Um, it's actually kind of more important because depending on your age, your the older you are, your education stat might go up and your strength, constitution, and dexterity uh, may actually go down. You might get both. Uh, you're sort of reflecting if you're an older guy, you're a little bit less dexterous, but you know, you're a little bit more learned. And uh, if you play really young, like if you want to play a kid like 15, 16, 17, you actually end up removing points from your strength, size, and education. But... Um, the benefit of being young, if you did want to play a very young guy, um, you get to roll your luck twice and pick the better value. So younger guys, while they're 
you know, a little bit smaller, um, are luckier, which is cool. Yeah. So you're going to be, did we say about 38, 39? Yeah, I, th- I think about there is kind of right tracks the uh, what we're going with. Cool. Sounds good. So if you want to put in, say, is it 38? Yeah. So if you're within the age range of 20 to 39, you get to make uh, an improvement check to your education. So you make an improvement roll by making an education check. You roll a D100, you want to get under your education skill. And if you pass, you get to add 1D10 improvement points to your education attribute. Nice. So yeah, you can make an improvement check by rolling a D100 for your education skill. Oh, nice. All right. Uh, Oh, amazing. That's like a critical success. That was a real surprisingly really good roll. <laughs> eight. So you get oh, yeah. uh, another eight to your education. So that's going to bump up to 58. <laughs> yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. First roll. <laughs> Let's hope, hopefully this uh, luck can keep up throughout the game. We'll see. Um, now, the next step is you choose your occupation. Um, there are a bunch of occupations in the, um, you know, in, in the uh, investigator handbook. They have details for like many more modern ones, old ones. You can even sort of make up your own if you want to. Um, but one of the ones in there, and I think the one that we're going to pick would be private investigator, right? Yeah. These occupations. There we go. Populated. Oh, nice. So the different occupations give you a certain amount of um, skill points to apply. And it also determines uh, for you your starting credit rating. So credit rating is a skill in Call of Cthulhu, which is essentially how much uh, cash you have on hand to spend throughout the scenario and also like how much you have in assets. So that might determine whether or not you have a car, you know, um, you use that money to buy sort of starting equipment and also just being able to buy things throughout um throughout the adventure. And also, you know, maybe you want, need to borrow something from someone. You're like, hey, you know, can I get a loan or can I get this on tick? And I swear I'll pay you back. I'm good for it. Well, you know, make a credit rating roll and let's, let's see if they go along with it. Private investigator classically does not have a great credit rating, um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Makes sense. You're always kind of working hand in mouth, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's go that. Private investigator, it tells you... Um, Each character now gets two pools of skill points to spend on the the large array of skills that you find down below your your main attributes. One is your career pool, which you can only spend on the skills that are relevant from your career that you get given and you choose from a small little list and then you can spend that pool on those ones. Then you have a pool of personal skill points, which you can then use – which you can then spread across every single skill in sort of any way you want. These are the things that you've skills you've learned in your own life, as opposed to the ones as your career as a private investigator. Hmm. So the ones that come with a private investigator, you can see are photography, of course, disguise, law, library use, which is uh, just general research, looking stuff up, psychology, and spot hidden. Psychology is. Um, you know, determining some sort of being able to suss someone out. It's more of a vibe check. Um, what do you make of this guy? Do you think they're pulling your leg? Are they being honest? Uh, how are they feeling right now? I'm trying to assess someone. And spot hidden is just your general notice skill. Just trying to see what's going on, look for hidden clues, um, maybe notice something in your peripheral, that kind of thing. So a very useful skill. Yeah, sorry. I'm just looking through some of these. 
Yeah. If you choose the way your skill points are calculated, um, it'll be education times two plus dex or strength times two. Dex is your highest out of dex and strength. So you tick that one, education times two plus dex times two, which will be 220 uh, skill points to spend. Then on top of these skills that are gifted to you in your um, career choice, you know, the, the photography, disguise, et cetera, law, um, you get to pick two other interpersonal skills that you think might be, um, might be very useful. The first one that you can choose from, you've got charm, which is self-explanatory, fast talk, which is less like charm and more like your ability to uh, bullshit, intimidate and persuade. How they would go with fast talk? Yeah. Makes sense for a private detective. And then you get to pick one more skill from all the kind of skills. Um, you know, every, you've got accounting. A lot of them are very sort of geared towards the 1920s Lovecraftian <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. You can create your own sort of customizable sort of specializations. You'll see things like um, firearms. You can pick a particular type of firearms or languages. You can pick a language. Sciences. You can, if you want to specialize it, you can create your own little subset of like if you're a physicist or a chemist or something like that, that works. But then, you know, you've got your, all your other sort of basic ones, things like stealth, sleight of hand, uh, drive auto, if you want to be a good driver, counting, which is, you know, obviously being able, being good with numbers, anthropology, appraise. So that's sort of obviously very geared towards those styles of adventures where you're like, we're going to investigate a mummy's tomb. How much is this worth? Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Belongs in a museum. Yeah, that, that whole thing. This artwork's fake. <laughs> I like that electrical repair is in here. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, I think there's stuff like heavy machine, operate heavy machinery, all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Um, Some good things in there. Uh, yeah, all right. I've got a question. So spot hidden and track. What What would you, you know, short answer to find the difference between those two? Oh, track is, track is, um, so spot hidden is just noticing stuff. Track is like hunting, like looking at, um, you know, footprints, tracking someone through the forest, maybe making some sort of more outdoorsy kind of, there is a, is there already a survival skill? Yeah. Survival specialization. There is survival if you want to make something a bit more specialized, but track is just generally, track might be, um, yeah, looking for some tire marks, looking for signs through trees of activity, that kind of okay. thing. I, I ask because I'm certainly prints. drawn to track. It seems to fit, but if it was a double up, um, with find hidden, then I wouldn't take it. It kind of, I mean... In some in some scenarios, it probably kind of probably kind of is, you know. It's just sort of a lot of these have kind of a bit of a DM fiat about, you know, what I would ask for. A lot of the times, a spot hidden might actually do, in lieu of a track. Hmm. Well, um, I'm torn between psychoanalysis and track again for the uh, the character flavor of it. Um, ah, okay. With spot hidden in there, maybe I'll go with psychoanalysis, and it could be a really funny moment when he can't follow tire tracks. <laughs> Let me look up, um, because psychology and psychoanalysis are obviously very different. I'm just going to very quickly pull up what um, psychoanalysis is in the actual uh, book. Um, yes, here we are. So psychology is like a perception to study someone and kind of form an idea about their character, right? Psychoanalysis is um, more like an arrangement. It's, it's like emotional therapies. Okay. So it's almost more like procedures, like being an, an analyst, trying to see if someone has an emotional disorder, um, how to help someone. You can help even help people sort of recover um, 
sanity points if they've been through traumatic experiences. Okay, so not not incredibly useful in this uh, exact setup, probably. Probably not. Uh, I was I was definitely reading it more as being able to kind of quickly analyze people, like what's this person's tick. I would say a psychology would cover that. If you're trying to get a quick quick read on and form an idea about someone, psychology would be that one which you've got. Yeah. Um, some other ones might be useful for a, just to think about for a detective might be listen if you're sort of sneaking around or stealth if you want to stalk people. Oh, yeah. Driving might be useful if you're trying to tail a car and not get noticed. Stuff like that is always mm. good. All right. You know, let's go with drive then. Why not? Drive auto. Let's go with that. Now, all the other skills that you haven't picked, you will be able to still put points into them, um, you know, drawing from your personal points so your career pool is going to be a little bit higher i think it's going to be somewhere between 200 to 240 points to spend and then your personal skill points are a little bit lower in number but you can you can spend them on anything this reflects stuff that you've picked up in your personal life rather than just through your career all right that makes sense so i think you have 140 personal points to spend now as well um, everyone has a, you know, all the skills have a base if you look. So accounting will just, the base will be 5%, um, charm, everyone just has a base of 15%. And then now as we sort of spread those skills out throughout them, you'll choose which ones you want to beef up to be quite high and what ones you, you know, are going to keep low. So now this is where you can sort of build your, your detective and shape him more the way you, you think he will be, you know, if he's good at, uh, how good is he at sort of, uh, psychology, how good is he at talking bullshit, uh, fast talk, how good is he at um, spot hidden, how good is he with firearms, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, if you need me to explain any of the skills, just let me know. Um, no, I think I'm just going to... So occupational is 231 to spend and personal is 140. Yeah, so you can divvy those out as you see fit and then we'll come back and do a little bit of backstory. All right, so we've got our um, our stats, our age, our occupation, and our skills all sorted. That's the uh, that's the more fiddly stuff kind of out of the way. The next part is creating your backstory, and this is the fun stuff. This this is kind of like you know what makes you interesting and fun to to play. You know, we get to to delve into. Um, well, all kinds of stuff. Um, we get personal description, your character's ideology and beliefs, some significant people in their life, meaningful locations, possessions. It's not really essential to have uh, an entry for each of these categories as they're more sort of f flavor. But, you know, the more that you're able to fill these out, I guess the more kind of, well, one, the more your investigator comes to life. But it's also stuff that I can um, play with in the game as well. You know, you might have like a, a horrifying moment where um, you see a vision of an important uh, character or something like that. Whereas the other ones like, you know, ideology and beliefs and things like that, they're sort of, um, it's kind of role play flavor, but it's fun. Let's start with the, with the easy stuff though and get that out of the way. Um, gender. Yeah, easy guy. Uh, oh, hometown. Hometown, um, so there's hometown and there's birthplace. Um, so hometown will probably be, you know, where you're born might not necessarily be where you sort of grew up or where you're currently living or 
um, something like that. I know you've just moved to New Orleans, so we probably wouldn't put New Orleans as your hometown. Um, we probably have, you know, where you've spent the majority of your life there as hometown, which might be separate from birthplace. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I was thinking is from Peoria, uh, which at that time would be like the second largest city in Illinois. Um, but he might have still been born in Chicago, uh, as he does end up there at some point. So I'll, I'll go with that. So you're going to go with Chicago for, for both hometown and birthplace? I think I'm going to stick uh, with Peoria for hometown, but Chicago for birthplace. Mm-hmm. And what about personal description? Have we filled that out? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm I'm always bad at personal description. Uh, it's that thing where it's like you just find a photo that works instead of typing a thousand words. Um, but Of course, of course. But I am definitely leaning into him being kind of the cliche grizzled private eye who's very much down on his luck like a almost a you know a booker dewitt type um so he would have that look you know mid-30s probably looks a bit older hasn't shaved in a few days probably reeks of whiskey um decent clothes but they obviously haven't been pressed and cleaned for some time of course he's wearing like the trilby hat um yeah beautiful now Ideology and beliefs. This is something that you can make up for your character, or there is a list that you can choose from, like a random table in the book. Or if you're playing on Roll20, there's a a drop-down menu on the character sheet. There are all kinds of interesting ones. Things like uh, there's a higher power that you worship and pray to, like you might be religious. Maybe you're a campaigner or an activist. You have something like uh, maybe it's union power or feminism or something like that. I, th- I think for the sake of you following through the, the steps in the book, which is what we're doing, maybe we'll, we'll select something from the list. So do you have an idea of what your character's core ideologies and beliefs might be? Yeah. Um, I think probably he was certainly raised in what would have been a fairly standard family at that time. So he's probably raised Christian, um, at least in that area of the US. But, you know fighting in the trenches and uh, becoming a corrupt cop after and all all the things I'm sure he's seen. I feel like he'd be fairly misanthropic, probably would have lost any any sort of faith, um, which might make it interesting when you run into Eldritch Horrors because I doubt he'll believe they're real. <laughs> so would we say mankind can do fine without religions? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, let's take that. That's sort of the quote that the book gives you. Mankind can do fine without religions. And you can kind of um, fill it out if you want to make it a bit more specific and personal to uh, to your your character. I'm just going to type disillusioned because I think that sums it up pretty well. Beautiful. The next is meaningful locations. Is there a meaningful location to uh, your investigator? Um, so this is an interesting question, I think, because there would be, like, there would be a couple places I could probably list um, if the setting was in Chicago. But as it is going to be in New Orleans, I think the only location that would be meaningful to him would be the office. Well, um, you can pick a meaningful location from Chicago. It can be your hometown or your, your family home or even just a place, a place that might be for contemplation or um, just something that was you know, significant, maybe the, uh, the place that where you were sort of happiest in your life, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be connected to the current setting that we're going to be in. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, when you, you said the place where he was probably happiest, that 
kind of rings true as something he would probably cherish, you know, that thing you can never really go back to or get. Um, so yeah, that makes sense, which would mean probably somewhere in Peoria. We can just go with hometown. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be more significant, it could be the place where you met your, uh, your now estranged uh, wife. Yeah. The place you were happiest in your life. Yeah. Going with that. Yeah. Well, what is the place? Yeah. It's, I mean, the uh, the suggestion that maybe it's where he met his wife uh, definitely seems like it would fit the character, but I think it would be more um, probably when he first saw his kids. Ooh. So maybe not that hospital, uh, but maybe like, you know, the old family home uh, when he was, the rest of the family were meeting the kids for the first time. Hmm. The old family home where you lived with your wife and children. Yeah. Now, significant people. Is this going to be, uh, it could be children, it could be your wife, it could even just be a, a friend? Um, yeah, I think for one, I'm going to go with um, the kids. And then for a second choice, uh, the friend that is his connection to uh, New Orleans, which shared experience. Yeah, they served in the war together. So you have two children, is that right? Yeah, I'm just going to write in uh, the kids in the second. It gives you a possible hook. Um, yeah, or it might just be a backstory thing, but yeah, I'll put it out there. Awesome. And your wartime friend, you'd say um, your connection is that you're indebted to them. They helped you uh, get you this job, right, when you were down on your luck. Yeah, that's true. Um, I went uh, Immediately I went with shared experience, but I think indebted probably makes more sense. That fits a little bit better. Is they're essentially pulling him out of the, the gutter almost, you know? Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Um, now we get to pick something cool. We get to pick a, uh, a treasured possession that you'll have um, in this game. Um, yeah, let's make him sentimental. Um, an old journal of some kind, maybe a, a stack of letters. Ooh, just a stack of letters to someone in particular? Well, I was thinking, um, because when uh, we discussed the backstory a little bit, I... You know, he volunteered um, to go over and, and be some of the first American servers uh, in World War One. So I would assume at that point he still had a pretty good relationship um, with his family. And those letters would be probably from his family. Mm. Uh, maybe it's some that when the kids were first learning to write, they would send him. He was only there for two years. Uh, but when he came back is when things went to shit. So I think he would still hold on to that as like, you know, there's still some good... Um, and again, make them a little bit sentimental. Letters from the war. And the last thing, um, we're going to pick a trait. Um, they do give you a, a sort of a list to choose from in the book. We can obviously kind of make something up. But the ones that they give you are things like um, generous, good with animals. Maybe you're a, a hedonist or a dreamer or a gambler and a risk taker. A ladies man, maybe not your one. Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things like ambitious. I don't know. What do you think? Mm. I think he's good with animals. It's an easy go-to. There's he's already, you know, so so dark in his soul at this moment. I don't want to push that anymore. Good with animals. Um, I don't think he's a hedonist. You know, he does drink too much. I don't think he's a hedonist per se. <laughs> Who doesn't like dogs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good with animals is good. I'll see if I can work that in. That's a great hook. So we sort of have those prompts. Why don't you, um, well, I guess the, the, before we, we'll, 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 I'll ask for the sort of the full rundown on the, the backstory, but let's finally, um, I'm going to ask, what, what is your uh, character's name? Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, I'm going to go with Jackson Cassidy, and uh, assuming people just call him Jack. 
Jackie Boy, Jackson or Jack Cassidy. Seems like a perfect. I love solid it. Solid detective name. Yeah. Well, why don't you give me the the? We sort of filled in those. You've sort of got some clues there with the the significant people and the the, the treasured items. Um, but let's go through just, I guess, a bit of a quick rundown. If you can give me the 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 quick little bio on uh, who is Jack Cassidy and how did he end up in New Orleans down on his luck. Yeah. Um. Well, I think, you know, especially when he was young, you know, as we discussed, he was born in Peoria, which is a fairly large city at the time, but not huge, you know, it's what then it would have been like 20, 30,000 people, um, which then was a big city, but not, not that big. So I think he kind of had the kind of normal uh, childhood in the sense that they weren't like well off, you know, but they weren't, they weren't starving either. Um, probably good family life. Uh, he did the normal, you know, like, I guess, average thing, got out of school, decided to become a police officer, that, as that was his interest, was married early, had kids, um, and of course, World War I broke out, um, and I think he's the kind of guy who felt like a sense of duty, maybe just the way he was raised, or the fact that he was a police officer, and before there was any kind of, of draft or anything, um, enlisted, uh, volunteered for the AEF. Uh, and went overseas and joined the uh, the Brits. Uh, so he, I, guess, I think that was only about two years, uh, but he would have been deployed into the trenches. Um, when he was in the trenches, I can only guess, as happened to, to so many people horribly, he, he was probably gassed with chlorine, um, which some people survived, but not that many, um, and ended up in a military hospital. So he certainly has, you know, the... Sadly, classic shell shock. Um, I think when he got home is when he started drinking to deal with shell shock and moved to Chicago to try to make a bit more money and became a detective after being decorated from the war. You know, he got the promotion. Um, but that time in Chicago is right when Prohibition was starting to kick off. Um, so I, I imagine with his kind of uh, shattered self at that point and his desire to drink, uh, he ended up on the wrong side of that. Ended up a little bit dirty. And, you know, took some payoffs and some bribes from... I uh, like Johnny Torrio, you know, prior to Al Capone. I think Al Capone was the late 20s. Uh, but yeah, became more and more corrupt. Uh, so he was he was a detective a detective with the, with the uh, yeah, Chicago PD. That's what I'm thinking. Mm. And as things got worse, you know, he... It, it became obvious that he was corrupt and he was probably fairly quietly because uh, at that time, you know, it, it wasn't a big show of we're getting rid of this officer for corruption unless they were a big name. I don't think he was a big name. Uh, so he probably quietly lost his badge probably about that point, you know, between the shell shock of the corruption and the drinking, probably when he lost the family, uh, ended up essentially in the gutter with nowhere to go and likely fearing uh, the decisions he'd made by helping out the Chicago outfit um, and at that point without too many choices left is probably when he talked to his old war buddy uh, and found his way in New Orleans hoping to start over uh, present himself as still respectable uh, maybe clean himself up a little bit you know or maybe meet an Eldrick Horror and, and die horribly or go insane but I think his intention is not that so <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'll just ask, um, obviously, this is the 1920s, so divorce was exceptionally rare. I think almost um, 
unless there were cases of adultery or, or abuse, um, almost impossible. So would you say that you're you're still married to your wife? You're just, she's just yeah. left. Right. Uh, I say divorced because that's more common now. But of that time, I think it's more, um, she's left, you know, she's, she's not coming back. He probably has sent her a lot of letters or tried to contact her or find her. She doesn't want to be found. They are, they're certainly permanently separated, but I don't think they're, you know, I guess for that time, divorced. Yeah. Uh, which might be the thing that gives him some hope, you know, if I can get my shit together. Yeah. Maybe this job that you've uh, now with, uh, if you can get a steady income and a place to stay here in New Orleans and start a new, clean, fresh life, you might be able to turn things around. Well, that is exactly where we're going to begin our adventure on the next episode when we start with the actual play there is one final thing we need to do for your character which we haven't done and i figured i'd leave it till last and that is um your actual luck skill which we haven't uh filled out i don't think um so the way you do luck in call of cthulhu you roll 3d6 and then like the other skills we times it by five so yeah we'll finish we'll finish this off with um with one final roll and maybe um this will kind of uh, set the tone for the, the coming <laughs> adventure. Let's see how lucky uh, Jack Cassidy is going to be. Oof. <laughs> well, my 3D6 is an eight. <laughs> oh, very poetic. Two ones Perfect. and a six. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so 40 luck. It's not terrible, but not, um, not the worst, but not the best. I, I do appreciate, though, that when rolling for luck, it's... You know, the worst and the best rolled together. <laughs> yes, I know. Very poetic. Two ones and a six. All right. Well, that's where we'll leave things for now. And we'll start the next episode and see what Jack Cassidy is up to with his new life in New Orleans. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. <laughs>